Lord, we do pray now that your Holy Spirit would come and open our hearts and minds to a message that could not be more important to us as disciples of Jesus, those who who have decided to follow him, who love him, and also to us as a church. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come and make these words of Holy Scripture come alive in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So the question this morning, which is actually the title of the sermon, is what does God expect of me? What does God expect of me? Uh, Do you know? I mean, that's a question I think every person needs to answer. And I assume that you're interested in finding out the answer to that that question and a whole lot of others since you're here on a snowy day like today. Would it surprise you to learn that it's not about money? Even though the commandment we're looking at uh, affects how we spend our money. It's, it's not really about your time, even though it will affect how you use your time, how you live your life day by day. It's, it's not about living a good, clean, upright, moral life, being like Jesus, even though it affects how we con- conduct ourselves every single day. So the question again is, what does God expect of me? Do you have a clue? When people join this church, we ask them questions about expectations. Some of you that have joined in the last years have heard us ask, either Andrew or me, will you faithfully participate in the ministries of this church with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? Now, I've I've never heard anybody in all the years I've been here, in fact, in 36 years of ministry, when I've asked those questions, that question about those things, I've never had anybody say no. Not once. I've known way too many persons, however, that don't seem to take those promises too seriously, uh, judging by what happens after that. Jesus' expectations are very clear in the Gospels, and and they are hard. They are demanding. They are costly. He is looking looking not for people that are just kind of curious, uh, people who are kind of wanting to be associated with him because they kind of like most of what he says, Uh, people that, that like it that he's, you know, moral and and upstanding. He's, he's not wanting people that are just, you know, in love with his teaching or the idea of him. He is looking for people that are fully committed followers that are willing to give their all. Now, much of life, as we all know, is about expectations. We live with expectations in our marriages, with our kids, our grandkids, with extended family. Uh, with a boss and co-workers, or if you are the boss with your employees. We have expectations in the church uh, with one another. Um, Life is full of expectations. But what does Jesus expect of us? This is what uh, a lawyer wanted to know here in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. I know you're familiar with this passage, but listen to it again, starting... Uh, with 28 uh, in the Gospel of Mark. One of the uh, scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. 
And seeing that he answered them well, he asked Jesus, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, the first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Then the scribes said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all, of, with all the heart, and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask Jesus any question. Now, as we look further at this passage, we see that, that Jesus is having an encounter here with an expert, a real expert on expectations. Uh, this was a scribe. We might think of them as a religious lawyer, someone that knew the law of God, the Torah, uh, all that God taught His people in the Old Testament, He knew it as well as anyone. And He's asking here, what is the greatest commandment? Now, the Jewish rabbis had counted up all the commandments in the Torah. They determined that there were hundreds and hundreds of them. In fact, a few hundred years after this episode, uh, the Talmud uh, was, uh, was, was brought together, and there... Is said there, there are 613 misvot, which is the word for commandment in Hebrew. And I looked through those last night. There's a website where all of those are listed, all 613 of them. And it was very overwhelming to think about having to obey all 613 of these commandments. Some are very negative and some are positive. I mean, Ten Commandments is hard to keep, wouldn't you agree? I mean, 613? Um, so this guy with a PhD in Judaism says to Jesus, out of the hundreds of commandments in the Torah, which one is the most important? Now keep in mind in the Gospel of Mark, as in the other Gospels, but especially we see in Mark, there are over a dozen occasions when the scribes have a confrontation with Jesus. Uh, these experts in the law uh, mocked him, they tested him, they argued with him, they eventually conspired with others to kill him. So immediately you wonder, is this a trick question? When this scribe asked Jesus about the greatest and the highest commandment, he may have been trying to embarrass him to like pick one commandment over all the others and say it was more important, thereby lessening the importance of all the other commandments of God. So, so how did Jesus answer the question? Well, he tells us here what God expects of us. He says that it is ultimately all about love. Now he brings together two commandments from the Old Testament. One from the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and the other from Leviticus 19... 
and, and makes really one big commandment out of it. He says, the first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And he said, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Why did Jesus combine these two? Because I, I think what he knew and what he was saying to us is that they are all part of one law, the law of love. If you devote your life to loving God with your whole being, with everything you are and all that you have, and you love your neighbor as much as you love yourself, you'll pretty much have all these other things worked out. Before we enshrined 1 Corinthians 13 is like the wedding poem, um, which it's hard for us to read it and not think about a wedding, isn't it? I mean, it, it feels a little out of place uh, because of the way that we have used that passage of Scripture over the decades. But, but prior to, the, to it becoming the wedding poem, uh, it was a powerful insight into this ultimate priority of love that echoes throughout the pages of the New Testament and, yes, the Old. Paul boldly asserts without any sappy sentimentality, he says that if we don't have love, we are nothing. There is nothing that comes close to love in terms of the priority for the disciples' life and for the church. In Galatians 5, 6, Paul writes, the only thing that matters, the only thing that matters, he says, is faith working through love. Put that up on the screen there, Howard. The only thing that matters is faith working through love. Say that with me. The only thing that matters is faith working through love. Paul is saying it's all about love. Always it's all about love. And so when Jesus answered the scribe's question, he was clearly taken aback by what Jesus told him. So then he says, teacher... You are right. You have spoken the truth. Loving the Lord and others is more important even than sacrifices that one makes in the temple. Jesus responded, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one else asked any more questions of Jesus. It was settled. Now, those of us here who have struggled with conditional love, who've been loved even by parents and family, a husband or a wife, conditionally, with strings attached, with conditions, preconditions. Uh, we, we may find some of this really hard to comprehend. Uh, there, there are some people, even within the church, that will tell me from time to time that they've never felt like they were loved at all. They struggle with this idea that God's essence, His nature... His totality of being is love. Uh, I had a woman who recently told me, with her head kind of back a little bit, with some pride, I was always daddy's favorite. And, and there are others who think just the opposite. Thankfully, our Heavenly Father does not play favorites. Uh, God's love is not like a chocolate cake that's divided up into a finite set of, of pieces, number of pieces. God does not ration love. 
One writer puts it this way, Peter Van Bremen. Listen to this, I love it. He says, if we think God is a person who can divide his love, then we are thinking not of God, but ourselves. God is perfectly one, the perfect unity. We have love, but God is love. His love is not an activity. It is his whole self. His whole self. You know, as a husband to Connie, as a father to Jared and John, a grandfather to Ezra and to Lincoln, uh, as a son to my dad, as a friend, as a pastor. I mean, I am quite capable of loving others, as are you. But I am also capable of failing to love those people that are nearest and dearest to me. But this can never be said of God, never. God cannot stop loving because God's love is his nature. Therefore, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit ask us, ask us to set as our daily, our daily desire, our, our number one priority in this life with whomever we are in relationship, including the stranger, the total stranger, to love them as God has loved us but to give God our first love. Now we're going to talk about first love next week and the church at Ephesus. Uh, you might want to begin reading uh, Revelation chapters 2 and 3 this week. Just keep reading those letters over these next weeks that Jesus uh, essentially spoke to, sent to his church. But Jesus puts it this way in Matthew chapter 10. He says, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I mean, that's one, that's one of the toughest utterances ever to come out of the mouth of Jesus, isn't it? Because we instinctively love our parents and love our children. I think one of the hardest things for, for many members of my own family to understand since I answered the call to ministry 40 years ago and have been in ministry now for 36 years, is that the call to discipleship, the call to being a pastor, a shepherd of a church, requires that I put God, not family, first. I was out recently and saw someone that had a tattoo on their, their arm that said, family first. That is not a biblical notion, as honorable as it may seem culturally. Uh, our first love, our first priority is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so over the years as a pastor for virtually all of my adult life, I mean, we have missed all kinds of family celebrations and gatherings and Christmas Eve while serving on the mission field in Cambodia, we, we missed not only Christmas, but our son's birthdays and couldn't even attend our son's college graduation. Uh, Connie, thankfully, has not kept a record of all the sacrifices she's made as a pastor's wife uh, for nearly four decades. But, but they are a lot. They are too numerous to count as she and our children have been put on the back burner so that I can be in ministry to others in Jesus' name. I've had parents that would tell me that they would never, ever want their son or daughter to be in full-time ministry. 
Christian parents. I've had parents tell me they would never, ever want their children to serve as missionaries overseas. They could not bear the thought. The cost, in other words, is too great. Uh, 20 years ago, I went on a Wesley Heritage tour and I stood in a simple brick house in England that was the childhood home of Francis Asbury. Asbury Seminary and college are named after him. Uh, he was instrumental in bringing Methodism to Kentucky. We are, in the sense, his spiritual offspring, those of us that have identified as lifelong Methodists. He was the first bishop of the Methodist Church in America. And as a young man, he attended Methodist meetings in Bristol with his mother. He grew up going to these, these gatherings where the word was preached. And by age 21, he was a preacher himself. And then John Wesley in 1771 came to one of those gatherings. And he basically said to those that were there, he said... We have a great need in America, in the colonies. They need preachers. Who will go for us? And Francis Asbury volunteered. And soon thereafter, at age 26, he left for America to preach the gospels in the colonies. And here's what's touched me so. Standing in that modest little home where he had been raised by his parents... I was told the story of his goodbye, his parting with his parents, which is documented in many places. But in his final goodbye to his parents, his father, whom Francis says, I, I practically never saw cry, show any emotion, any sadness whatsoever. His father was overwhelmed with tears and began to lament, I shall never see my son's face again. And parting from his mother was even worse. She was greatly grieved at the thought of her son going overseas. And at the last moment to console her, Francis took his only possession. He had no money whatsoever. He was going on faith to come here to share the gospel. His only possession was a silver watch. And he thrust that into his mother's hands kissed her and said goodbye. And though he intended to come back to England at some point, for the next 45 years he labored with great hardship, with, with a variety of ailments and sicknesses in the colonies, planting churches, um, helping preachers to mature in Christ, bringing people uh, to Jesus. He never saw his parents again. Not once. No FaceTime, no photographs to exchange, nothing. He never saw them again until the day they died. And, and, and it makes me think about all the sacrifices that Jesus calls for from us as his followers. In Luke 14, for example... He said, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Hate? I mean, are you serious, Jesus? <laughs> You're talking about hating our own flesh and blood families? Hating our own lives? I mean, doesn't the, you know, that... 
that second part of the greatest commandment, loving your neighbor as yourself, loving yourself, isn't that important? Well, I don't think Jesus is being literal here. I think he's using hyperbole, which, which is deliberate exaggeration, to illustrate the incredible cost of discipleship for those that really and truly want to follow him wherever he leads. There is a cross to bear. There are losses, uh, sacrifices to be made. Our love for Christ must be of such intensity and such a quality that by comparison all the other loves that we have in this life are hate, are like hate. Does anyone do this completely? Do I do this completely? Absolutely not. Of course I don't. But this is to be the inclination of the heart. And it, and it is the governor. It is the guide. Uh, it's the motivator that, that should, should shape our behavior and, and set our priorities as disciples of Jesus day in and day out. I mean, we love Him in this wholehearted, whole person way by, by regularly spending time with God and being aware of His presence throughout our day. We love God in this manner when, when we take seriously uh, His commandments and we seek to, to honor them and keep them. We love Him when we make an effort to get to worship, even on a day like today. We love Him as, as, as fully devoted disciples of Jesus when we work for justice, when we stand up for what is true, even when we live in a culture of lies. We love Him by caring for the poor and the needy, by treating others with dignity and respect, starting in our marriages and with our children. We love God in this manner when we do so with humility and with sacrifice. And, and we love God in this manner when we, we refuse to hold a grudge. We refuse... Uh, to, to be angry with someone uh, for more than a short season. We forgive those who have hurt us. I mean, we love in this manner when we hate the things that God hates and love the things that God loves. Many years ago, FM 106, radio station in New York City, ran a contest inviting their listeners to call in as soon as they rolled out of bed in the morning. And uh, there was $106 at stake. And if the announcer, the DJ, uh, liked your response best, then you were given the cash for that day. So people were calling in, and naturally they were trying to be funny and dramatic. And, you know, there was a guy that moaned, you know, oh, not another day of work. And someone, uh, I think it was a teenage girl, she squealed, you know, oh my God, I'm late for school. And there was all these Things that people were saying, the first words out of their mouths when they rolled out of bed. A lot of grumbling, a lot of complaining, and a little bit of cursing as they faced the burden of a new day. But, but one morning, a caller said something very unusual. When the DJ picked up the phone and said, this is FM 106, you're on the air. What did you say when you rolled out of bed this morning? The man on the other end from the Bronx replied, you really want to know what my first words were this morning? And the DJ said, yes, yeah. Tell us, sir, what did you say? 
And the man responded, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. He said, that is what I say every single morning as I roll out of bed and face a new day. And there were just a few seconds of awkward silence from, from the DJ and then he laughed and said, oh, sorry, wrong number. Hung up the phone and they went to a commercial. Now, those words spoken by that man on the radio were the same words that devout Jews, presumably Jesus himself, have prayed since ancient times at the beginning of a new day. And I, I wonder what would happen if if this would become the inclination of your heart and mine as we prepared to get out of bed every single day. What does God expect of you? Jesus tells us here, doesn't he? He tells us. It's always been and it always will be about love. A wholehearted, nothing held back love for God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And love for our neighbors just as we love ourselves. Now I invite you to bow your head with me for prayer as we prepare to sing our closing song. And Lord, we thank you for a reminder, such a necessary reminder, that you are our first love. We love many things. We say it often. Oh, I love pepperoni pizza or... I love a good movie or a good book or I love to go to a concert or I love this or I love that. But I wonder, Lord, how much we really love you. Help us to pray in the morning, Lord, with, with every fiber of our being, with determination and enthusiasm and intellect and energy that we will love you this day. And if given the chance, we will love every person we encounter in this life in the same way that Jesus has loved us. Oh Lord, help us this week as, as we prepare to take this hard look at the church at Ephesus that abandoned their first love. Help us to think, oh have I? Have I done the same? Come, Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen.